episode of Willits Pod is brought to you by alabamatrucknuts.com. It's very difficult to come up with a tagline for alabamatrucknuts.com because it's alabamatrucknuts.com, which is already quite intriguing. So we'll just say alabamatrucknuts.com again. That's alabamatrucknuts.com, baby. That is the sound of two delicious Arizona green tea with ginseng and honeys. One from me, Jesse from the internet, and one from Addie from the internet, who we did not coordinate on flavors. I do I do open the show each time uh, with the Arizona beverage of choice. So today, I think, uh, probably not a mystery that I was going to go with the, uh, the favorite, the classic, because this is a, a special show. Uh, with a guest, uh, every show that we had a guest is special, but this is this is different. We're in the afternoon. There's sirens going off. Sorry, that's me. Us. I'm sorry. <laughs> Addie, in the lawless portion of the internet, uh, Britt is also here from the internet. Britt, hi. How are you? Hi. I feel bad now because my mom literally sent me home with a 12 pack of the, of the Arizona green tea. When I went to my parents' house for Easter, literally in my kitchen, and I just didn't even think about it. I feel so bad. Well, the great thing that we love about Arizona iced tea is that they keep it 99 cents, uh, and that is important because, uh, you know, no matter what we do, money money can be tight, uh, and that's why, you know, we're a co-op here. Uh, we, we keep uh, you know, all that Alabama truck notes money, plus so it goes to uh, support causes because that's what Alabama truck nuts is about um but also uh yeah i've been in a union addy is uh currently raising the fist uh she's a union organizer uh and uh today a, a new union man uh trevor is here from the internet and the sacramento river cat trevor how are you thank you uh i'm doing well and yes i am now firmly in the Minor League Players Association uh, Union under the umbrella of the MLBPA. It happened! Been a long time coming, but... uh, And honestly, since since I got more involved, it's been faster than I expected. I did not expect to be here at this moment in time, but obviously elated that we are and that we got a deal in place before the 2023 season. So, yeah, steps in the right direction for sure. And so, without, Oh, I, no, you I, go, Jesse. I'm sorry. And because uh, this is – this, I'll let, let you go right, right after this. Without a lot of talk about it, like it wasn't something where like I – and mean, I covered – when I was at Sporting News, I covered the NHL lockout, and that was, you know, staking out NHL headquarters and hanging out in a bank vestibule every night <laughs> yeah. for Gary Bettman to appear from on high. Or Don Fear. Um, there was no, I mean, you know, the, there was stuff last summer as the union was, things were starting to come, but like that agreement kind of felt like it came out of nowhere. Yeah, I think um, media wise, it was um, relatively quiet throughout the offseason, even though bargaining had been going on since early in the offseason. Um, we got recognized, we started signing union cards in uh, early September, I believe, and then we're recognized three days later. Um, so we could get to the table as soon as possible. And we were bargaining all throughout the off season, but it really picked up, um, pace in terms of the amount of bargaining sessions per week. 
um, within the last month and, and during spring training. And then, uh, yeah, we're f- able to come to tentative agreements on a lot of, a lot of places, a lot of things. Uh, and then some topics took a while, but we got it done at the very end of March, I think. Yeah. So I'm like, so I'm so excited to talk to you. I've literally been buzzing about this for weeks. <laughs> I have so many questions. Um, okay. So what are your, like, what are the biggest deal parts of the deal? What things are you most excited about and what are people, what feels like most transformative? Um, so there's a few things that I think are significant. I mean, a lot of things are, are, are meaningful and significant steps forward, but first and foremost, the biggest one is salary for me. I think, um, players were making at the rookie ball level last year, I think players made 8,800, um, for six months of work. And that just seemed ludicrous. Um, you know, from, $10 $10 billion industry. Wait, I think you cut out for one second. Say the figure one more time. 8800 Guys in rookie bowl were making $8,800 um, for six months of work. Um, oh, my God. So it was, yeah. It was Which is ludicrous. bananas. Considering the MLB is, you know, $10 billion, $11 billion a year. Um, and guys, I think we're there were a, a set of, you know, events in reaction, starting with the COVID year when the minor league season was canceled and guys were not going to get paid anything. Um, and a lot of owners didn't want to pay guys any sort of figure. Um, and then there was a lot of public pressure put on them and some, some people paid half salary or something like that, like 400 a week. Um, but yeah, I think that season, um, the MLB settlement in the Senny case, um, which was a class action lawsuit, uh, about wages guys are owed for spring training and extended spring training and instructs and stuff like that. Um, and so when guys learned about that lawsuit and found out that they were part of the class action and that they were owed money, they would come to me and be like, yo, um, do I get a piece of that? Like I've been playing minor league baseball for a couple of years. And I was like, yeah, like unless you opted out, which I don't think any of you did, you're a part of that and you will get a check and you will be owed money. And that was an easy conversation starter and segue into being like, you know, don't we deserve more? Aren't you, you know, living on the edges of your abilities financially? Um, and there's something we can do about that. And though that conversation, those conversations were started, um, jump started by that, that settlement. Um, so yeah, here we are. You know, I just, I just have to say, I spend a, I'm, my day job is I'm a union organizer. I work for the News Guild, and um, I basically try to teach. I'm, I'm a journalist by trade, and I try to teach journalists how to organize. And you just did such a perfect agitate, edu- educate, one, two. <laughs> I'm like so <laughs> impressed. Thank you. How did you end up in this role? Like, why are you the person that people know to come to with this question? Where, where, what's your like journey to being a minor league baseball union king? Yeah, good question. Um, so coming out of college, I went to UC Berkeley for five years, and I was born and raised in California. Go Bears! But coming, go Bears! <laughs> but coming out of college, um, I really didn't have a sense of what it meant to be in a union and what unions could do for um, workers. And so going into minor league baseball, 
I was just kind of, I was a late round draft pick. I was a senior sign. I signed for a thousand bucks, which ended up being like 570 bucks after taxes. And I broke my phone like the first week I was in Florida. So I, I spent it all on a new yeah. phone and I was, and I was broke. Oh, I was making 1100 a month and I was living at the team complex, which was mandatory unless you owned property in Florida, which of course I didn't. And I was 23. I'd lived on my own for five years. I felt like an adult. Um, but I was in this dormitory with a roommate and it was mandatory $17 a day taken out of your paycheck. So my paycheck at the end of every two weeks was 185 bucks. And oh my God. if you broke curfew, it was at 11 PM. If you broke curfew, it was a hundred dollar fine. And so I had broke curfew and I ended up owing that money one pay period because I was fine. So, you know, 185 bucks, and a lot of my other friends were getting starting their careers or at least having a job that they could live on their own. Um, and I wasn't saving any money for the off season. I had student loans and I was paying off the minimum on my student loans. Um, but the interest was raising faster than I could pay it down. I think when I graduated, I owed like 10,000. And by the time I got to the big leagues, which was three years, it was 16,000. So like I just was accumulating debt while playing baseball. Um, and so that kind of radicalized me, you know, living back, living with my parents in the off seasons, um, eating PB and J from the clubhouse every single day. And then throughout the minor leagues, like living on pullout couches, cockroach infested apartments, um, not, not being sure whether I should buy this like little side table for my apartment. I ended up using an upside down cardboard box. The side table was like 40 bucks and it was giving me anxiety. I was going to like, cut it really tight on some bills. So that kind of radicalized me. And then just the conditions throughout the minor leagues and talking with players, especially international players and how they were getting the same pet check I was, but they were sending money home to the Dominican or sending money home to Venezuela. And I just thought, how could you possibly do that? We're busting our ass year round. It's a year round job. You really can't fall behind on training in the off season. Um, I got, off-season jobs. I worked retail and made more money in four months in retail than I did as a minimum wage worker than I did as a professional baseball player. Um, so yeah, I think those those all kind of led to the idea that we deserve more. All workers deserve more solidarity. But in 2020 and 2021, you know, learning about the the fact that the owners didn't want to pay us during COVID season and then watching the negotiations with the MLBPA and that lockout um, made me want to get more involved in the minor league unionization process. And then minor league advocate, advocates was really present on social media. Um, I reached out to them and got involved and became a point of contact, just kind of paying attention and then took a bit of a leadership role after that. And was by then people knew that I was the guy to come talk to because I was relatively vocal in the clubhouse because I was kind of older. Yeah. And that's a really interesting point. I think um, what you said about sort of not really understanding really what a union could do when you were yeah. younger. I also grew up in the Bay Area. And I think that that's probably pretty common for a lot of people who are, um, you know, elder millennials, young Gen Z, however you want to yeah. uh, phrase it. And especially people who grew up in places like the Bay Area. And I think it's an interesting point, too, because at least for the in the States, like getting to the point where you're playing or you're even drafted, much less making the majors 
a lot of times you kind of have to have some money as a family to, to do that. It's not cheap to yeah. play travel ball and do, go to showcases and do all the stuff you need to do to get to that point. So Absolutely. I do sort of wonder, like, how much does that contribute to maybe people being a little later to sort of understand the benefits of a union because they're not necessarily seeing it, you know, day to day in their families or something the same way that, that they might otherwise. Yeah. And I think, I think guys coming up through baseball, we play a lot of games in the summer. I didn't have a job till I graduated college. So I was never forced to think about my place in the labor market or what my role was as it relates to the means of production. So it just didn't, Cross my mind until I was getting a paycheck. Uh, I'm glad to say that I'm past that. And I think about a little more things now, but um, yeah, I don't fault anybody who, you know, a lot of the new draft guys are similar to me. They just don't, it doesn't cross their mind all the time. And um, we now have a task ahead of us of educating those guys as soon as they get into the system about the importance of it, you know, the role of it, what benefits it can um, provide to you. Sorry. Back to the first question you asked me. All I named was salary. There are other things that this CBA <laughs> company did. I went on Welcome to Willis Pod. Uh, this is every um, conversation we have. We can cut this up and just throw it, it back to where it was. Yeah. So salary. No, no. No, no. <laughs> um, bargaining yeah, rights. I mean, no, second medical opinion rights. So when guys are injured, they don't have to just take what the team doctor says say that you know you have a partially mm-hmm. torn ucl and the doctor says you know we could just rehab it and we could shoot prp in there which is a different type of type of treatment besides surgery and a lot of the time that just delays the surgery process you know six months go by you rehab it doesn't get better then you end up getting surgery anyway so you feel like you wasted six months and in the, in the old days it used to be guys didn't have that opportunity to go to another doctor get another opinion that said yes you do need the surgery i think that's the best thing for you so now we have that right, um, which I think will help a lot of guys, but I don't know if that's fully appreciated by um, a lot of the rank and file players. Um, housing to secure that in the CBA was big because that only was started to be provided in 2021. Um, a year knocked off the reserve clause of the uniform player contract when you first sign your first professional deal. It's seven years. Now, guys, 19 and older, it's six years, so you reach free agency sooner, meaning you have the opportunity to make even more money sooner. Um, transportation guarantees, you know, guys in AA and AAA now get their own hotel rooms on the road. A lot of those guys are older with families. Um, guarantees about uh, per diem is raised. Guarantees about food, better, healthy, um, substantial portions, make sure everybody has enough food, stuff like that. Sorry. Now we can... Now we're back. <laughs> All questions answered. The medical opinion option is really interesting, though. I didn't, I think That's I missed exactly that what I was looking say. through. Yeah, yeah, I mean, because I, I think we've all heard, I don't want to say horror stories, but we've all seen incidents of guys, you know, they like exactly what you're saying, where they want to, they try and rehab something and it just doesn't work, or there's yeah. some conflict between a player and a team where the, the player really feels like, you know, one one direction for treatment is it makes more sense to them and the team yeah. pushes back on that for whatever reason. And I think it's it's interesting to think about. And also I think I I'm curious sort of how much of of or how much do players think about the fact that like some of these injuries are potentially gonna have 
like just sort of day-to-day life impacts too, or, you know, where you hear, I just remember Buster Posey when he was announcing his retirement saying like, I want to be able to like run after my kids and it just hurts too much every day. So yeah. thinking about stuff like that, like, you know, when you're talking about injuries, there's, there's impact way beyond just the fact that like, yeah, your career is something that you've been working incredibly hard for. That's really valuable. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, like you said, injuries can be, have repercussions farther than baseball, especially for catchers who get concussed and, you know, repeated concussions can have a quality of life impact down the road. So you want to be really careful about that stuff. And I think it was a big win for us to have players have a little bit more say in their medical treatment and their, their healthcare because they really, really didn't have much previously. The food thing uh, really gets me. And, and you're talking about, you know, coming up eating PB&Js and I've talked to, talked to players about this before where it's like, you know, I remember the one that sticks out to me most is Gio Gonzalez telling me that like his go-to meal in the minors was in and out. And I'm like, you're preparing to be a professional world-class athlete, like one of the 600 best in the world at this. And your organization is invested in you to do that because it's, it's beneficial to them to get you yeah. to be a top professional. Why, why do you think it is that more teams like didn't go out and do better on their own just as a competitive advantage? I, I understand there's a lot of teams out there that are cheap, but how did that escape through baseball for all that time that the idea of like, Maybe if we feed our minor leaguers uh, good food and give them, you know, the, the tools that they need, like, why wasn't there ever a, an organization? Yeah, you're getting what I'm asking. <laughs> no, it's a great question, and you know, I I've asked that many times myself. I still don't have an answer as to why it didn't happen sooner or why they didn't. You know, because it makes sense from a player development standpoint that you want guys to have enough rest, enough to eat, proper nutrition um, and the minor league shouldn't be, you know, a a test of your toughness. You know, if you make it through that, that shows that you're ready. It shouldn't be forced hardships, you know, and they all had the funds to, to invest in their players. I will say that coming up through the minor leagues, we've always, we always heard um, whispers about how the Dodgers treated their players really well in player development um, in terms of like, everything they've everyone always had enough food and everything was organic and like grass fed beef and would make sure that their players had all the supplements um, they needed anything they wanted fish oil, creatine, protein, stuff like that. Um, Just the basics. And obviously they won like, I don't know, seven division titles in a row and they just kept seeming to churn out more and more talent. So you can see the benefits, I think. And hopefully moving forward, guys don't have to, um, don't have to eat PB&J as much. That Shout is... out to PB&J still. A classic. My go-to. Yeah, all, yeah. All day long. That's so fascinating about the Dodgers. And, and uh, you know, so, okay, I have this theory that every workplace is exactly the same. And <laughs> it, it yeah. started for me when I 
you know, like began a career in journalism and had now and had worked in like a few newsrooms and they all had the exact same problems. <laughs> yeah. And then my job was I was a labor reporter. Like I was writing a lot about like basically staffing issues in government and I would talk to them and I would be like, your job sounds you're like, your job is unfathomable to me and sounds like we have the exact same problems. <laughs> Every workplace has like boss favoritism. Every workplace has like basic supply issues that they like will not furnish their employees with the tools they need to do their right. job well, which doesn't make any sense. And so it's really interesting to talk to you because, you know, Obviously, our idea of professional athletes is like that is the most glamorous job in the entire world. Right. Like that is everyone's dream job. And your workplace sounds the same as mine. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I say this in part because it's funny as an observation, but also because I feel like what I'm hearing come has come online for you a little bit when you're talking about sort of this just this awareness of yourself as a worker. Uh -huh. It sounds like there's something that has like kind of, and I think it's inevitable in this work, put you in touch with this new identity that's not just baseball player, but that's like a worker. And when you, when we see ourselves as workers, everyone is one of us. Like I'm one, Jesse's one, Brit's one, you're one, the UPS guy who just dropped off a package is one. Actually, I think UPS, oh yeah, no, UPS yeah, is teachers. Teachers. Yeah. Yeah. UPS oh, is, yeah. UPS is in hard. Um about what that sense of like really starting to see yourself as a worker has brought into this environment of like professional baseball that is so um I mean you guys are like exempted from the minimum wage that's the whole thing it's like it's it is it is treated in as a very unique workplace has that happened like what's that been like for you yeah no definitely I think <laughs> that that class consciousness awareness um, really blossomed. Right. There's the words. <laughs> That's what we're all saying in so many words. <laughs> um, that came to be yeah, over a course of many years. And I think, I think, uh, I don't know for certain, but I think that's happened to many players, many minor league players through this process. I think some of them don't, still don't picture themselves as, as it relates to other workers in other industries, whether it be Starbucks or Amazon or these other unionization pushes we see um, over the past, you know, 18 months. And I think, I hope that the players realize over the next six to 12 months, how much better a union can um, make your life materially. And so that they, they understand when they see Starbucks workers striking that they don't cross a picket line and they realize what they're fighting for, better working conditions, better pay, better benefits, um, and that they show solidarity to, to other workers across other industries. It, you, baseball is special. Um, you know, we do have the antitrust exemption. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we understand that we've been exploited for a long time and that there are a lot of other workers across America who continue to be exploited by billionaires and um, we hope that stops. I think that this is a particularly interesting moment that, that you mentioned with those unionization pushes in, you know, those service industry jobs as 
you've had to work those jobs. Like you're seeing it happen in that workplace. And, and I'm sure that you are not, I know that you are not alone in working other jobs to make your way through the minor leagues. Like this is why you guys are unionized. Yeah. Uh, do you think that there's like influence in that, that like guys have gone out and, you know, working those jobs, seeing the people that they work with in their off the field jobs to, you know, make their really make a living, uh, seeing those unionization pushes happen. Well, we can do this too. Yeah. I hope. Yeah. I really hope that players start to realize the similarities um, across those industries. And, and I hope they teach their kids the value of a union and um, generally union participation keeps going up. There's this thing about this work, um, and 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 I I you know it sounds like this is something you've experienced. It's something I've experienced. Where a lot of the time, um, the people who start organizing these things are not the people who actually benefit from them in the end. Like the process of organizing a union and bargaining a contract, I know I don't have to tell you, takes years. And I was reading, I think it was um, a Sports Illustrated piece from a while back where you were talking about how you were pretty aware of that, that like this was a fight for minor leaguers to come. And um, I just think that's very, you know, I think that's that's so beautiful. And I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about how you think about that, because like you're saying, you know, you guys are really a part of, we're all really a part of a really like pivotal moment in the labor movement right now, where like face of the labor movement is really changing. Um, and it sounds like you're you you were pretty aware of kind of the, um, you know, the people you don't even know who are really going to be the ones like taking for granted that they get two doctors. Yeah. <laughs> How do you think about that? Um, I think it's a good point that a lot of the leadership, um, are guys that maybe play minor league. I'm 32. You know, there's not a ton of 33-year-old minor leaguers, <laughs> not many. So <laughs> I'm not going to be around for very much longer. Um, I'm definitely not going to be around as a minor leaguer for the next CBA negotiations. So we understood, and there were a lot of players who had been in the minor leagues two or three years who this will definitely material uh, impact and help over the next few years. But mostly it's for generations and, and decades to come. So hopefully... You know, every five years we keep um, pushing the ball a little bit further and um, keep get, making inroads in our CBA. But the motivation came because you could look around the clubhouse and and see that guys deserve more. How hard that they were working, everything that we sacrifice, whether it be missing birthdays, weddings, funerals. Um, graduations, everything that you miss in the course of a season because you're committed to the game. And we hope that we hope that the, the unionization push like helps guys see that across, you know, many different divides in a clubhouse, you know, whether it be a language barrier or class or um, 
pol- uh, political spectrum. You know, there's a lot of different personalities in a clubhouse, but we can all recognize that we deserve more. Um, and we made a decision to get involved and, and go for it. And yeah, I think initially when I got involved, which was about 13 months ago now, or 14, I thought it was going to take years. And I thought I was going to be a former player when we finally got it done. So the fact that we were able to unionize within the same year and then get recognized and then bargain and get a CBA on the table, I think is shocking. If you had told me 12 months ago that this was the position. It, it, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah I, I, I was definitely shocked in a good way, obviously, but I was definitely shocked because, you know, and I we watched- really have to recognize that the MLBPA taking us under their umbrella and choosing to welcome us in was massive and can't be understated because we had all their experience and their resources um, at the bargaining table. And if we didn't have, you know, they, they had bargained with those same lawyers and the same representative from the MLB commissioner's office. And without that, I think the process would have been infinitely harder. It's interesting that you say that because I think one of the things that stood out to me during the last MLB CBA negotiation during the lockout and everything was that there were, you know, guys like Max Scherzer and Garrett Cole saying like, look, this doesn't matter for us. We make more money than anyone could ever need. This isn't about us. This is that we can speak on behalf of the people coming after us. And that felt like from an outside observer, at least that felt like a pretty significant change. Like, I feel like that was not vocalized previously in these negotiations. Uh, Mm -hmm. So does it seem like it sort of was like a a broader sort of change in perspective that, that got all of that, you know, everything under the MLBPA and all of that progress? I think so. I think guys um, value the brotherhood that we're in and value the, the idea of bringing up the median salary and the mean salary more than just the top end players. Um, especially in the MLB, those, those guys in the leadership role um, did a great job of, of raising that, that bar. I was talking to someone. Oh, go ahead, Jesse. I, I just wonder about, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, union leadership down the line for years from Martin Miller's in the Hall of Fame, finally for good reason. But having Tony Clark at the top of the MLBPA and having, you know, been a guy who spent some time in the minors, um, you know, and, and having had that experience, like, I wonder. Um, you know, did you get to talk to him about that and and that that kind of thing to to know that he has that experience and and living it, uh, you know, not just representing yeah. it. Yeah, um, I did get to talk to him a little bit. He's um, obviously navigated us and the union through a few complicated situations, whether it be the COVID season, the lockout, um, and a couple of CBA negotiations. Um, but yeah, him and a lot of, I would say 99.9% of players remember what it's like to play in the minor leagues. There's only a couple guys who go straight to the big leagues. I don't think it happens much anymore. Mike Leak, I remember did it. Someone else did it earlier. And like maybe some guys internationally from um, Cuba or Japan or Korea that sign and come straight to the big leagues. Um, but most, most everybody remembers what it's like to be a minor leaguer and how tough it is. So when it came down to it, you know, they, 
they supported us and had our backs and knew what we were fighting for. And um, it was a nice show of solidarity. I, um, I was, I was talking to someone the other day and they said, you know, major league baseball players are our most prominent union members in this country, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. which made me laugh because, um, you know, baseball and unions are my two favorite things in the world. And I never <laughs> thought about it that way. Um, but I, you know, Trevor, I was just feeling like there is, you guys have actually really done something to make that like less of a joke. <laughs> like, obviously, yeah. I, I, there's sort of this like awareness of the MLBPA. But I think it is really, really cool. Um, the the way that you guys have through the, through this fight that you guys are having so valiantly on your own behalf, you've really raised the profile of these kinds of fights everywhere and these kinds of fights within Major League Baseball. And I just think that's very cool. And, you know, I, I think it's um, – yeah, this is less, less of a question, more of a comment. Good job <laughs> at that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. I was just proud to be part of a group of guys. I don't think that I played uh, like an integral role. I think there were other representatives who, you know, were also really involved. I would say I always have to thank Harry Marino, who – um, was a minor league player and is now a lawyer and was director of advocates for minor leaguers. He now works at the PA. Um, Andrew Tripp, Kieran Lovegrove, Kevin Slack. Um, these guys that were pretty, pretty influential on me at the, at the early process of um, advocates for minor leaguers. And then towards the unionization push. So it was really just a, a, a bunch of guys coming together and collective action um, and I'm really, really extremely proud of what we did. I think it's probably the most proud accomplishment I have in my life and definitely the coolest moment of my career. It's just uh, to have an impact on hopefully thousands of, of players' lives and their families um, is pretty special. So that makes me think of one thing that – Something that we have talked about on the show a lot is sort of this sense of like loving something that doesn't love you back. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and it, it sort of strikes me with their, like, have you guys had to sort of grapple with that at all? The sense of like, look, this game is something that has been so important to you and it's something that you love so much, but like, gosh, this is, it's also, you know, like you said, it's also explaining me or taking advantage of me. Yeah. Yeah. I think, <laughs> Baseball is hard enough as it is without, you know, making $185 every two weeks and trying to survive. I love it to death and it's fun as hell, but it's a stupid fucking game. <laughs> Can't wait to discuss more of that later. Yeah, right. that's, the, that's the official tagline. You could do everything right so and be the worst player on the field. Like you could throw the perfect pitch and the perfect count with the perfect movement to the perfect spot and a guy breaks his bat and hits a two-run double. And you can be right. on as a hitter, you can be on time, perfect swing, crush a ball at 116 miles an hour and line into a double play. It's fucking stupid. And some <laughs> of the rules are ridiculous. But again, I love it to death. But the the idea that we love something that doesn't doesn't love us back, I think is instilled pretty early before we even become professional ball players. 
Um, but yeah, then working in the industry, it's a, it's a whole nother added level of irony to that. I just want to go back to, to one thing on this. You said earlier you had student loans. And I think that for a lot of people, uh, myself included, the assumption would be that if you are a good enough baseball player to be, you know, 32 years old and still a professional at it, uh, that you would have been on scholarship at a oh. Pac-12 school. Jesse, uh, don't get me started is, on that, the that is not how college baseball works. And I think that a lot of people, <laughs> I mean, to me, even like I, I would have thought that the scholarship run would go deeper than that to you do not need to have student loans. The um, gap between scholarships for baseball and scholarships for something like football is yeah. ridiculous. And I will say, as a huge college baseball fan, this is like a constant point of argument that it's like it makes it so hard to recruit and maintain. Like, mm-hmm. again, it's, you know, you've got people who are at top tier schools where they're having to give scholarships to like non-athletic scholarships from like booster organizations and stuff to baseball players because they know that because of the NCAA limits, like there's just not enough to go around, which I think is absurd. Yeah. Yeah. I think when I was playing in college, it was 11.7 scholarships and there were 35 roster spots. So even if you gave 11 full scholarships, the other 24 guys are paying their way. Um, and it's usually you don't get a full ride. You usually get a um, tuition and books or something like that. And I had just a flat number. Um, and then my scholarship was up after four years. I didn't get drafted. And I was just like finishing school in the summer. I was like bench pressing in the RSF, this student gym every day, which is like the worst thing ever for your shoulder. And my coach called me and said, you know, do you want to come back for a fifth year? You got a, another year of eligibility. And we had an incoming freshman um, sign in the draft late. And so we had some scholarship money freed up. Um, so I, I jumped at that opportunity, but yeah, I think a lot of players have student loans they need to pay off. I didn't pay mine off till my first big league paycheck. And I took that all and paid off my all my student. Also seems like something that the billionaire owned teams, uh, could just take care of for a few thousand dollars. So literally one season ticket. I was just imagining, I'm sure we we discussed it on the pod. Uh, I hope you saw this, Trevor. I was just imagining a version of that story that was like, which teams pay for plane Wi-Fi? And it was literally everyone except for the Yankees and the Reds. Oh, really? No, I didn't see it. (laughs) I'll send it to you. It's so funny to me. I want a version of that. It's, it's, It's perfect. Go, go, Yankees fan, go. I had never like, heard of that. It is the funniest thing to me, too, because, like, the Yankees have a re- reputation, and this is, like, that I've heard from players, that, like, they're very generous in a lot of other ways. So just, yeah. like, who like who, who was supposed to set up the plane Wi-Fi and it, like, dropped off their to-do list and it just never got handled? They're like, what happens there? Like, how do you go from, like, otherwise seeming to be doing really well and be like, oh, no, but you can pay the $7. Or like you know, Lucas Luke could get Mike King's sister's phone number to use their um, like Verizon Wi-Fi or whatever. It's the craziest things, right? That they won't pay for. And that's true of every single workplace. Not to not to make my this entire podcast about my theory, but I 
literally that's true everywhere it's always they're like everywhere i've worked for they're like here's two thousand dollars for something you don't give a shit about but you can't have a chair yeah right (laughs) um okay i really want to discuss the two (laughs) the two fun hit things in the mess game last night i saw that (laughs) Oh yeah, my god! It is a Tuesday afternoon as we record this, uh, so this is last night's Mets Padres game. Uh, first, Luis Guillorme uh, with an actual bunt, uh, followed by Tomas Nito with a swinging bunt. Uh, both of which, the 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 Guillorme bunt actually like laid to rest between the line on that very small patch of dirt between line and grass. Uh, Nito's came to rest uh, on the on the third baseline itself as Drew Smith came to his feet and was just the giddiest that I think I have ever seen anybody over That's a That's the most emotion. Uh, it, well, what was fun was two things. Was one, okay, let me just set the scene for everyone. I had <laughs> Sims. I had Sims on this computer. I'm currently, um, I was literally, I think at that moment, putting in cheat codes for more money to buy her a new house. And then I have a second monitor right here and I, you know, to my right, and I had the Mets game on there. And um, I pushed back in my chair like this and (laughs) reacted exactly as Drew Smith without standing up. (laughs) And then they cut to him and I... I was like beside myself, Trevor. I have I'm like in love with him. If if you know him, um, he follows me on Twitter. So tell him to like DM me or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, with him a little bit. He's a really nice guy. Tell him to come on the podcast. I'll be really normal. I'll be totally normal. I promise. Um, I just it was the most emotion I've ever seen him emote, and it right. was about something that I cared about so deeply like it was the the exact appropriate emotion for (laughs) what we had experienced which was the stupidest it it, like you're saying it was one of those moments where i was like this is the stupidest sport in the entire world like (laughs) this shit is so dumb and then the way that like both padres i like can't even demonstrate it on the podcast which no one can see the way they all like walked along the third baseline like waiting for it to go foul it was Maybe so beautiful. Machado giving it a little kick at the end, just like to try it. <laughs> so That's beautiful. One of my favorite weird baseball things, for the record, when infielders like do that little scuffle along the line, praying that a bunt is going to go foul. It's my favorite thing. It's one. Of, it's yeah. so dumb. This you got to be so ready to pick it up at any moment. As soon as it goes foul, you pick it right. up. It's just, it's just one of those reminders that again, this is the stupidest sport on so yeah, many levels. It, it played by morons. <laughs> Um, are there any memories that stand out to you from your playing career that are that that are that stand out to you for their sheer stupidity in the in the baseball game? Um, just the other day, we had two outs. It's top of the ninth. We had two outs, two runners on. We were pitching, and. Guy gets a ground ball to second base. Second baseman picks it up, throws him first, out, ending over. And the umpire's like, time, 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 time. Like, it hit me. That's a hit. Dead ball. You go back to second and third. And then, like, the guy gets to first safely. 
because it's an automatic dead ball if it's an umpire. It's like counts as a, a hit. hit. Yeah. And so we start arguing like, okay, the, the play the the infielder was camped like right behind the ball. It was a slow roller. Like the there was no way it was going to be a hit. And I'm pretty sure in the rule book that you can at umpire. Hey, where was the umpire? He was a second base umpire. So he's in between the mound and second base on the grass. And we're like, I think at umpire's discretion that you're allowed to overrule that and just say that he was going to be an out. It's an out. But he didn't. Um, and our pitcher was at his pitch count. He was our last available pitcher that day. So then a position player had to come in and pitch with the bases loaded and two outs in the ninth. And a pitcher had to play left because we had a player ejected earlier in the game. We had no bench players. So a pitcher was playing left and a left a right fielder was playing was pitching and with three runs on the base that were all potentially earned runs on this guy's numbers in his career which is like the last thing you want a position player pitching when there are real runs at, at stake and oh my god the guy the pitcher warmed up like throwing 80 85 which is like a respectable firm enough Wait, fastball that's not, that's not and terrible. In the first pitch of the inning he throws it at 65 and so it sped up the hitters mind and eyes and then gets a slow ball guy flies out to the warning track and i think that if he oh had thrown 80 it would have been a grand slam so just those cartoonish looney tune ass games like that oh my god it didn't have to be that dramatic and it's so funny because i saw i saw on twitter that a position player was pitching and had had not been paying attention to the game and had no idea what so much more layers. I led up to that. Yeah, I feel like they really buried the lead with the position player pitching part of it. Like, Man, if those runs had scored on oh that guy's God. ERA when he had gotten out of the inning with a ground ball and the oh inning was my over, God. Uh, devastating. Oh, I mean, and, and it's just, like, it's both what is so infuriating about baseball, right? And, oh, my God. Okay, Jesse is holding <laughs> Well, okay, so we'll just this graphic in the show now. Yeah. I, I just want to find out. I have this very old book, Baseball Rules in Pictures, and I want to know if, if what I'm showing here is is what happened and if this umpire uh, fucked up. Because, I, yeah, it, if the umpire was in front of the fielder, uh, that should be a dead ball and not a single. It should only be a, a, a single if it hits the umpire um, after it's passed another right fielder. behind a fielder. So the guy goes yeah. back and start keeps hitting. Uh, this says it is a fair ball if it strikes the umpire in fair territory before touching. But the runner is called back. The ball is dead. Yeah, like the runners on base were called back to their bases, but the guy was granted first base. That feels a little bit like a very fence sitting. Uh, way to adjudicate that rule. Like, well, we're not going to tell you yeah, you have to keep hitting, but we're not going to let anybody advance either. That's like a, that's, it's such a, we don't want to make a decision. Clarity. Yeah. This book also has, uh, has this right. I've been watching diagram. this over now. High school rules discourage this. Yeah. Discourage this. Yeah, yeah. You throw your glove, it's an automatic triple. Yep. <laughs> oh my God. Wait, that's this? amazing. But if you have a chance to knock down a home run ball and you throw your glove at and you hit it, it's only a triple, not a homer. Okay, so um, here's a question. It should be exploited more often, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> also, that's fair. gloves tossed into the air. That's my... Yeah, that's, that's entertainment. Fun. If you hit it, like, it should... Yeah. 
people Triple, would freak out about better. that. Reddit right. baseball would be like, <laughs> imagine getting a four hundred fifty bomb, four hundred fifty foot bomb, and the guy left fielder throws his foot, you know, glove up thirty feet in the air and knocks your home run down. <laughs> I mean, they play that games at Tropicana Field. Yeah, that's basically what the catwalks do. Yeah, yeah. Um. Trevor, what do you think of all the new rules? Did you play with a pitch clock in the minors? And what did you think? Uh, no comment. Oh! <laughs> wow! That's fair. That's fast fair. Pace. The pitch clock doesn't really bother me com- competition-wise. And it does speed up the game. Um, the amount of throwovers and stuff like that is obnoxious. And shifts, I think, I have no real opinion on them. It's like, all right, if you want to coach defense, like, by rules, it's like saying you can't throw three sliders in a row because it's, yes. it's yeah. not – it doesn't make sense. But I think it's so stupid. Thank you. But I – yeah, I just have no strong feelings about them. The, the funny thing about the shift to me is that already, in, in a matter of weeks, we've already seen teams start to, like, figure out ways around it. Like, oh. Well, yeah, bringing the right fielder out- and move the other outfits right. over like, so I really do wonder, like, how much of a difference is this actually going to make? Because they're just going to immediately figure out ways around it. They, these things have too much data and too many people. With, that, is, uh, that is what I thought was going to happen personally with, and, and this is why I kind of like it. Um, it's not really going to affect the defense all that much. The teams are still going to load up uh, the best they can to the spray chart. But now we don't have to hear announcers whining all the time about the shit. <laughs> that was so tiresome. I think that's probably the best argument I've heard so far, Jesse, to be completely honest. Yeah. I think that the comparison of like a ban on throwing three sliders in a row is such a good one. Like that is what's yeah. so frustrating to me about it, especially because we are like a week into the season and we already see two weeks into the season i don't know we already see ways people are getting around it like what was the fucking point to begin with and i also think i just personally hold a lot of animus toward rob manfred's stewardship of this game because he's a fucking employer side labor lawyer and i just like can't forgive him for that any care to care to comment <laughs> uh, when my career is over, I'll comment. Okay, cool. <laughs> Rob Manfred is a treasured partner at the bargaining table. We've worked together on <laughs> great deal. Uh, yeah, that's a I, little triggering, Jesse. Love, love, love lowercase d baseball. Hate, hate, hate capital B baseball. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yes. I'm, I'm glad that I was able to find this book so quickly. Like, yeah. The illustrations are amazing. Baseball rules and pictures. I will uh, go through this and uh, maybe in the show notes post yeah. some of the best. Uh, Trevor, what's your uh, what's your uh, entrance song, if you have one? Oh, that's you, uh, good. Very My walkout song this year is Shooting Stars by Bag Raiders. I don't know that song. Can I play it for you? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've been playing people's walkout music in bits around I'm, here. I'm always impressed by it. I promise any... you that you've heard this song before. Okay. Can you hear that? 
You gotta give it like 15 seconds. It's a gift for everyone. Oh, I, I already recognize this actually. That's a great walkout song. It's good vibes. And I picked it because as a guy who's not like, I'm not going to be, you know, coming in in the ninth inning with the run run lead. That's just the reality of my <laughs> career right now. So like when it's eight to one Rockies in the fourth on a Wednesday getaway game, you know, and I'm coming in to clean up an inning. Let's play this. People are still going to enjoy <laughs> this, whether it's a close game, day game, night game, close game, you know, lopsided game. Um, I think at all at all times it's applicable. You can't you can't enter those games to hell's bells, you know. No, I was going to say that. Is, those are my favorite walk up songs. The ones that are people are going to want to like dance to or sing along yeah, to or whatever. Should, those are perfect. Those are my favorite. Are yeah. On stadium speakers, it's going to blast. I think that's so fun. What's your um, favorite walkout song you've ever used? <laughs> uh, in college, I used like the Rocky theme song. Oh, that's fun. Perfect. Because I, I like was like, yeah, I didn't pitch the year before. And I was like really determined to like contribute. <laughs> and I like Rocky theme song. I pitched terribly, but whatever. <laughs> I love that though. I have to say, uh, for, for Jesse and Addie, because you probably have not noticed this, uh, Sean Jelly of of the San Francisco Giants organization, uh, he comes out to Bootylicious, which I think is <gasps> the best pick. The best That's pick. That's so good. Like, I'm sorry, that's your last name. How could you not How can you not come into, I don't think you're ready for this jelly? I can't. It's perfect. I love it so much. <laughs> I mean, the other the other option was, of course, uh, the peanut butter jelly time song. Uh, which, yeah, Grant Brisby, I'm gonna find you someday. Uh, and it's not like I'm gonna find him. I've met him in the past. Um, uh, I'm going yeah. to meet you again someday, Grant. Uh, jelly Barton jelly putting that time. In my head every uh, time Sean Jelly comes. Yeah, Jelly Barton jelly it's, time. Yeah, it's six eleven jelly time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was noticing and now i forgot what it was i feel like once again mark canna walked out to something like fucking incredible and i caught like half a moment of it and meant to talk to all of you about it and then i forgot what it was and his now i can't find anyone on the internet his choices are pretty consistently great though i will i oh will my God. paper planes last year paper planes was so good what is it this year i like I need, you know, I, I can't believe there's not like some beat reporter providing me with like a full list of the Mets walkout songs. Oh, the Mets beat reporters need to get on it. The Giants reporters, I know. It, like, the Giants themselves the as list. a team put out the put out the list. Yeah, I think yeah. they did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Mets very, put out a list very last thorough. year, but not yet. Yeah. Who has the best? Uh, who has the best music on the Rivercats right now? Uh, that's a good question. We haven't played enough home games for me to memorize it. And right now you're in Reno for, for the week. And I, this is something yeah. else that did this come as a result of bargaining or was this something that's been, uh, you know, affected like over the past, just out of COVID and all that, the, the revamped uh, schedule where you are playing six game series and basically have Monday off every week. Yeah, I think that came from COVID. Um, 
but it made sense travel wise too on people's bodies. And then like the price of flights, I think you fly just much, much less um, instead of every three days, it's, you know, once a week. So uh, I like it and having Monday, every office or having every Monday off is nice, but um, most of the time you're flying or traveling on that day. Sometimes you'll get a rare back-to-back home series where you're um, home for your off day and like full off day. Um, but yeah, I, I like this the schedule better. Yeah, we just got to Reno. Actually got to head to the field pretty soon. Um, we got a game tonight, huh? 6.30, 7, something like that. <laughs> how, how important is, especially like as a reliever, like knowing, do you focus on what time the game starts? Or do you focus on like what time you might want to start getting ready? Um, well, we have like, we have a, a stretch time for pitchers and yeah. then we have like a BP time. So you got to know, you got to know what time stretch is. That, that sets what time you're going to show up to the ballpark. And then after that, you can find out first pitch later. You can be out there for the anthem. Um, that's, that's mostly encouraged. And then, so you kind of want to know what time the game starts, but for the most part, stretch time is like the number one question. Are you superstitious at all? Do you have rituals? Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> Do you not like to talk about them? I wouldn't, I'm not like super strict about it, but like if I'm going well, I'm going to keep doing the same thing. Mm. Wear the same pleats, same socks. Um, I'm not going to like eat the same thing or anything like that, but my warm up routine will be exactly the same stretch and do my arm care in the same inning. Um, stuff like that. Mm. Good idea to keep it away from food. Well. <laughs> Jesse looks like get... distraught off into the distance about lucky foods. <laughs> I, oh my I'm God. somebody who wants a uh, middling kebabs for weeks on end because of a playoff run. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, so, wow. Yeah. Well, I'm not willing to, to do that. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's. What is. And here's one. What uh, Just random question popped into my head. Where's the best road clubhouse in the minors? Because mm. I remember like walking into Vegas, like the first time I covered a a, a minor league game, like, at, aside from Brooklyn, um, which was like a new park <laughs> and, and kind of nice for everybody, um, was in Vegas at Cashman Field, and it was like the visiting clubhouse there might as well have been um, a trailer, like it, it was that in Vegas. Yeah, this is like many years ago before oh, they, yeah. uh, they've had some renovations there. Um, no, my answer was literally going to be Vegas. Uh, they have a new stadium. <laughs> there you it's go. Kind of the Red Rock Casino. It's like a brand new facility. It's really nice. Uh, the club is great there. Everything is, is pretty show. I was going to like make a couple jokes about, say, like really awful places with awful, notoriously awful clubhouses. But I don't know. You guys... Have have you guys played in the Pacific Coast League? <laughs> or people that are listening to this who played in the Pacific Tacoma, um, Clinton in the Miss Midwest League, Burlington in the Happy League. Uh, yeah, just I places. Did, with, having been, been to the Burlington Rivers. Stadium, I can't say that's surprising. Ugh. It's tough. Some tough spots, but Vegas is really nice. Uh, Charlotte. Is really nice. Ooh, that's a nice part. 
Yeah, that is a nice bus. That part. Um, uh, yeah, Birmingham, Alabama, double A Birmingham is really nice. Maybe that's Michael Jordan influence. <laughs> yeah. 30 years ago. Never know. Um, no, the, the Vegas story I did was, um, it's, it's almost 20 years ago. now. But it's, uh, I did a story that was about day baseball in summertime in Vegas. Um, mm-hmm. and they were actually, they were playing the river cats that day. Um, I think, uh, AJ Ellis was playing uh, oh, at that time. Yeah. Uh, so I got to, to talk to him about catching in 105 degree heat. Um, yeah. Talked to the mascot who called it quits after three <laughs> innings that day after having basically every fan in attendance. <laughs> uh, glad, glad to hear that things have gotten better there, though, because that's, uh, that's a fun experience to <laughs> Yeah, Vegas the weather, minor league baseball atmosphere should be. The weather awesome. has gotten worse, but the clubhouse has gotten better. Well, you know, so I guess that's all warming, you can ask but... for. Yeah. One hundred and five. Just... I'd be praying for one hundred and five day game. Vegas. Oh my god! <laughs> I, would, I, would, time I, was there. I went to Ugh. a doubleheader in Sacramento two summers ago, I guess, and it was one hundred and eight when I showed up, and that was at like. Five o'clock. It was a. It was a, one of those semi double headers where they were making up the previous night's game that had gotten delayed or rained out or something, and then the regular seven o'clock start or whatever. And it was. I don't know that I. I lived in Fresno, and I don't know if I ever ever been hotter than that. Yeah, and you lived in Fresno. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but like, look, my my bar for the heat index is high. Having lived there for a while. All right, I have one question before we wrap up. Uh, as a fellow Bay Area kid, yeah, I have to ask, okay. uh, in and out order, and also uh, best bear, best burrito in the Bay Area. Oh wow! Oh, that's putting me on the spot. Um, in and out order is simple. I just get a number one with onions, fries, crispy. I think well done. Always well done. Mm. I think so. When I funny story, when I learned about like the secret menu, um, I remember going to through the drive-through. I'm with my, I think fiance at the time. She might, we might have been married. She's like, uh, "What are you going to get?" And I'm like, "Oh, check this out." I said, "Yo, can I get a number one um, animal style mustard fried?" Blah blah blah. And he just comes back on the radio. He's like, "Animal style is mustard fried." Uh, yeah, right. of course. Just making sure you got it double. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I do think that is a rite of passage, though, of like discovering their uh, uh, menu and then also buffing it just a little bit. Oh my god, that's great! That's um, great. Yeah, it was embarrassing. Um, best burrito. There's a taco truck in Los Altos where my wife and family live. And we had it at our wedding. We got married in our parents' backyard and we had like a taco truck and yakitori and sushi and like a bunch of different things. Um, And the taco truck is really, really good. And I don't know what it's called. Just a big green taco truck outside a mattress sleeper. See, I I respect the hell out of that answer because that that is a a deeply Bay Area native answer. (laughs) Like, I don't know, like the 
the one that has got like the Virgin Mary painted on the With side. The big green salsa right down the road. Right in the Home Depot parking lot, like that's how yeah, that works. Yeah. <laughs> well, this was like such a pleasure. I was really excited to talk to you, and it was. Everything I dreamt and more. Thanks for hanging out with us. Well, thank yeah, you for having me on. It was really a lot of fun, actually. Thank you for inviting me. And, yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, I get a little bit of anxiety about interviews and how it comes across, but this is, like, very relaxed. Thank you for letting me swear. And um, <laughs> you guys. Thank you so much. You I so much. feel the same way about anxiety. Um and the difference in just talking to people when I have a press pass around my neck and when I do not. And, right, yeah. Uh, this show has been learning to do it while not. So uh, we are all on journeys. And hopefully those we journeys will lead on, us to a big, we all big green taco truck. Because <laughs> I, I want to have some tacos from that big green taco truck. That sounds Same. It's on El Camino. El Camino and... Like showers? Look up El Camino and showers. Okay. Noted for we next will, time I'm in the uh, South. We will do that and we will have our next episode there when Trevor comes back on the show if, if you will do that uh, live from the Taco Truck. Uh, that would be awesome. <laughs> Good luck at your Trevor game. Everybody. Yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you guys. Really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, solidarity. Brit, Addy, Jesse, solidarity. Solidarity. Right, see you next time. Bye.